Hello, everyone, and welcome to what promises to be another very exciting episode of the AABIP podcast. Today, I am very fortunate to have three guests with me, and we are going to be discussing a very interesting uh, topic, pediatric advanced diagnostic and interventional bronchoscopy with three guests who I thank uh, from, uh, from the bottom of my heart for their time and coordinating this podcast. So we have with us today, Alfin Vicencio, also uh, he goes by Didi. Alfin basically, or Didi, is the division chief of pediatric pulmonology at Mount Sinai. We also have with us today, Eric Heisinger. Eric Heisinger is from Cincinnati Children's. He's a pediatric pulmonologist there. And we also have Joe Piccinio, and he is a pediatric pulmonologist at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Didi, Eric, and Joe, thank you so much for your time. We're glad to be here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. And uh, relevant to this broad topic, do you guys have any conflicts of interest that you would like to disclose before we get started? I I have uh, received a small honorarium from Irby for highlighting some of the potential uses for the second generation cryotherapy in pediatrics. But this podcast, of course, is uh, the views expressed on it are those of the speaker and uh, of mine, and they're not necessarily endorsed by the AABIP. So with the formalities out of the way, we can get started. So Didi, I think I'll address the first question to you. At the end of a pediatric pulmonary fellowship, what all bronchoscopic procedures are graduating fellows expected to be competent in? Um, I think that's uh, the baseline expectations are actually pretty straightforward in pediatrics. Uh, Typically graduates are expected to navigate the upper and lower airways. Um, They need to have a good knowledge uh, of anatomy, um, including common anatomic variations or congenital abnormalities that we might find, um, and then perform simple tasks such as bronchoalveolar lavage and therapeutic suctioning. Um, And in all honesty, these expectations really haven't changed in the past 20 years. So, So Joe, what about procedures that, you know, in adults, we consider an expectation from graduating fellow, like something like transbronchial biopsies? I mean, I suspect as opposed to adults and kids, there isn't a large need for these. But uh, is this an expectation from graduating fellows? It's not an expectation. And the indications for these procedures are still evolving in kids. Um, The exception to that is any program that has a lung transplant program. um, There may be opportunity for fellows to learn transbronchial biopsies. Um, But I'm not aware of any program where it's a requirement for graduation. So if I have to be clear about this, most pediatric graduating pediatric pulmonologists will not be competent in doing transbronchial biopsies with fluoroscopy. That's correct. And then Eric, like what about therapeutic procedures? What about the foreign body aspiration, you know, a rare tumor within the airway that needs to be debulked, maybe even something like complicated bronchial cast or clot that needs to be removed in a patient on ECMO? Who would do all those procedures? So it depends somewhat on where you are, uh, who's going to be involved in doing those. Uh, Foreign bodies, uh, most institutions, I think, typically lives in the realm of ENT, especially in the smaller patients. Uh, They have a lot more familiarity with rigid instrumentation. That tends to be a a safer approach. Uh, Airway tumors, uh, I think you get a little bit more involvement in in, uh, some multiple disciplinary approaches in that uh, involving ENT. Uh, I know Joe in particular has done a lot of airway tumor work in Philadelphia uh, as the pulmonologist uh, and then also some of the cardiothoracic surgeons. One area where I think we do uh, pretty routinely get involved in the pediatric world is with removal of 
of uh, large clots, large casts, uh, things along that line in patients that are having respiratory failure in the ICU. So that's one that we tend to do quite a bit of, at least at the institutions that I've been at. So, so when you're saying things like, you know, you're removing clots and casts, are you using cryotherapy for those or are those just the suctioning and forceps? Uh, so historically, most people have been doing a lot of suction and saline lavage. And I will tell you in a child that can be extraordinarily laborious. Uh, the 2.8 millimeter flexible bronchoscope with the 1.2 suction channel that will fit through the typical adult therapeutic bronchoscope that you guys are used to, uh, it can take hours trying to get out a clot uh, or a cast. Uh, and uh, more recently in the last probably three, four years, I've been gravitating more towards using the cryoprobe for that, which has frankly turned some jobs that were two hours into a 10 or a 15 minute procedure. And even been able to do this down in babies as small as about three, three and a half kilos. So I think the cryos had a lot of benefit uh, in my clinical practice uh, for removing uh, big casts and plugs and such from even small babies. And Joe, Eric just mentioned that you have a lot of experience with airway tumors. So, so to what extent is your involvement? Uh, is it biopsying the tumor? Is it debulking the tumor? Are you the first call or is ENT the first call for airway tumors? How does it work? We've taken a multidisciplinary approach to this. Um, and that approach includes ENT, pulmonology, cardiothoracic surgery, and oncology. And so when either of us gets a call about a potential airway tumor, um, everyone else is immediately looped in and we have a team meeting and decide what the best approach is. Oftentimes, we'll start with a combined uh, flexible bronchoscopy by myself and rigid bronchoscopy by an otolaryngology colleague and we'll scope out um, the tumor. If it appears um, safe to do so, we'll start with endobronchial biopsy um, and if possible, get um, a quick read from pathology to determine um, what potential tumor type it is. If the lesion seems amenable to removal, um, I would then proceed with uh, either a combination of forceps and cryo, um, or depending on its proximity to the trachea, potentially using rigid instruments with my otolaryngology colleague. Um, if it is deemed risky to attempt to remove endoscopically um, or debulk, then we'll typically wait for the final pathology and then regroup as a team uh, and decide what the next steps are, whether it's gonna be uh, sleeve resection, lobectomy, or go back uh, for uh, a bronchoscopic approach. And we've had a lot of success. Thankfully, these tumors are extremely rare in kids. Um, data I saw once from the Children's Oncology Group, which is a national um, working group for pediatric oncology estimated there were about 20 endobronchial tumors per year in children 18 and under or under 18. Um, so they're really quite rare. Um, my experience is somewhere between 12 and 15 cases, just to kind of put it into context. Awesome. Thank you. So, so Didi, again, clearly three of you guys are pioneers and, you know, not many people around the country seem to be doing what you guys are doing. I mean, I've seen you use cryo. I've seen you use balloon dilation for bronchial stenosis. I'm well acquainted with your dexterity in dealing with complex airways here at Sinai. So how many pediatric interventional bronchoscopists are there in the country? Like, you know, how many people are doing what you guys are doing? Uh, you know, I, I don't think I would be um, out of line in saying not a whole lot. Um, probably a handful 
Um, I think it sort of depends on how you define um, advanced diagnostic and interventional bronchoscopy. Um, there are some uh, simple procedures that uh, pretty much everybody is, is very competent in, uh, like suctioning out um, a plug um, or um, fiber optic intubation, for example. Um, and probably um, a fair amount of people who are comfortable with uh, some simple maneuvers like uh, endobronchial biopsy or even transbronchial biopsy. Um, but when we're talking about a lot of the um, uh, techniques uh, that Joe and, and, and Eric were uh, just mentioning, um, I, I really think it's probably um, low double digits. Really, really exciting times ahead for you guys and for us. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm very excited to see in which direction the field heads, and I can only imagine it growing. So, uh, Joe, are there any formal courses or you know training tools that are available right now for pediatric pulmonologists who are interested in this or for even adult pulmonologists who want to know more about these things there are no courses in existence yet on you know occurring at at um, regular bases but for the first time uh, this year uh, eric Didi, and i are co-directing a course for the american thoracic society um, a postgraduate course, which is dedicated to pediatric uh, advanced diagnostic and interventional bronchoscopy. And we hope, you know, it becomes the first of many and, and um, it's kind of a practice run for something that we can do more often um, to help train people. I think that while there aren't a lot of people doing this currently, the interest um, is really beginning to peak. I've noticed in fellowship applicants um, and current fellows that the number of people who want to learn how to do these procedures um, is way up from in the past. And I'm hopeful that if we can start introducing opportunities for people to um, learn the basic skills and partner with their adult interventional pulmonologists closer to home, um, that, that this field can really grow and, and bring to children um, means of care that previously uh, were unavailable to them, but, but clearly maybe the best safest uh, and most effective least invasive options for them. Would you be able to expand on what all stuff would be taught at a course like this? Basically the, the, the course layout um, for the postgraduate course, uh, uh, the first half day um, is going to be uh, dedicated to lecture series, um, concepts, um, you know, techniques that might be applicable in pediatrics, um, uh, both diagnostic uh, and interventional. I think the thing that that people are going to be the most excited about um, is going to be the hands-on portion. Um, simply to get their hands on some of this equipment, learn how to use a cryoprobe, uh, become familiar uh, with how it feels to pull something out, uh, foreign body retrievals with a variety of different um, uh, uh, instrumentation, um, and even something as simple as uh, endobronchial biopsies. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's sort of a feel if you haven't done it before. Uh, just yanking off that um, piece of tissue is something that um, sometimes can be a little jarring for somebody who hasn't done it before. Um, so a lot, um, uh, Joe and um, uh, Eric, I believe, are going to uh, also have a um, more advanced, um, uh, a more advanced uh, series on on navigational um, procedures in in bronchoscopy, which. Um, in all honesty, for many institutions, that may not be achievable just because of the equipment needs. But uh, again, I think it's going to be an exciting way to show people what the future of um, advanced diagnostic techniques are going to be. Um, one of the things that uh, at some point in the future that we would really like to address, and it's uh, questions that have come up 
uh, from a number of people um, over the years uh, when they ask me about interventional procedures is how do we um, manage complications? Um, from a diagnostic standpoint, um, you know, it's, we're not going to run into pneumothorax or bleeding all that much, but once you start getting into the interventional realm, that's something that a lot of people become very uncomfortable with of, is how, how people are going to manage complications. Um, so that's something that is not um, a part of this current course, but we plan to uh, incorporate that into hopefully um, uh, future courses. I can add that you know, one of the keys here, in my opinion, is really partnering with other disciplines. Uh, if there are concerns about the risk for uh, severe bleeding or pneumothorax, you might, um, you know, partner with your surgical colleagues. And, and whatever I'm doing, transbronchial biopsies or uh, particularly procedures that may be deemed a little bit higher risk for pneumothorax, since I was not trained uh, or uh, actively competent in placing chest tubes as a pediatric pulmonary fellow, I always have a surgeon on standby for me um, in case I need them. So, you know, it, it's often as informal as, you know, just letting them know before I head into the room that I'm, I'm going to be doing a case that has a risk of pneumothorax. Um, can you help if, uh, if needed? And, and if I may clarify, um, when you say navigational, are you all using an electromagnetic navigation platform or, or what kind of navigation are you talking about? Yes, um, we use CT navigation platform and uh, Dr. Heisinger, I think is one step advanced. So we've been, uh, in the last couple of three years, uh, we've been partnering pretty closely with our interventional radiology colleagues and trying to figure out ways to get to peripheral lesions, improving both our ability to identify and locate them and then also our diagnostic yield. Uh, so more recently, we've actually been using uh, cone beam CT with augmented fluoroscopy uh, in conjunction with interventional radiology, trying to uh, get down to smaller lesions and had pretty reasonable success, even uh, down to children as young as about four years old, being able to navigate to uh, lesions that were pretty peripheral and down to about half a centimeter to one centimeter in diameter. So pretty small lesions and pretty small patients. Awesome. That's great. So until pediatric bronchoscopy really picks up nationally, it seems that in many institutions, adult bronchoscopists may occasionally be need to uh, you know, assist in some therapeutic pediatric cases. You know, some of the challenges I can envision are the airways are smaller. As Didi mentioned, the scopes are smaller, the channels are smaller, a 1.2 millimeter channel. I don't know what we can do through that. Um, and then uh, little to no evidence to guide practice, different physiology and anatomy to factor in all of these changes as the child grows. So any tips or words of advice that you can give to us who may one day be called upon to face this dreaded, situation where we are called upon to help a uh, pediatric case. Absolutely. I agree with you. This is a real challenge here because we say to pediatricians all the time, children are not just little adults. And airway caliber, unquestionably to me, is the biggest challenge for even being able to apply uh, interventional flexible bronchoscopy techniques. You know, all the adult, almost all the adult procedures relies on the therapeutic scope. Maybe you can get some work done through uh, a P-scope, but uh, most of them are using bigger scopes. So that's a major problem. The 
indications are going to be quite a challenge to come up with. Areas to me that seem like they're going to be shining uh, are going to be situations where you've got masses that are not amenable to going after uh, through surgical techniques for whatever reason. Uh, the problem is you need to have somebody who's going to be comfortable being able to manage uh, the respiratory status of that. So having an anesthesiologist who is familiar with pediatric uh, physiology, both cardiac and respiratory, I think is very important there. I also think it's important for us as pediatricians to start really trying to develop this. I mean, there's a lot of information that we can certainly learn from our adult colleagues. And uh, I spent a good bit of my time during my fellowship training uh, trying to work with the uh, adults across the street at the University of Pennsylvania. I spent some time in Vanderbilt trying to work with the adult colleagues there, just learning what you can do and how we can share with each other. As having the a back and forth with somebody who's more familiar, I think, can be very useful as well, while the uh, pediatricians get a little bit more up to speed on what can be done through a uh, flexible bronchoscopy for interventional techniques. That's great. Thank you so much. Um, so I have no particular questions left. Uh, if, if I can just go one by one and see if you all have any closing comments. Uh, Didi, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, first of all, um, I think this has been a long road for some of us. Um, you know, I, I remember 10 plus years ago, Joe and I standing in the back of a room at ATS talking about these interventional techniques when not a whole lot of people were talking about them. Um, I think that, uh, uh, you know, the younger generation is going to really define um, the indications um, and move this field really, really far forward. I think that Eric is uh, one of those uh, in that younger generation who uh, obviously has um, become a leader in the field already uh, at this very young age. Um, I think another thing that is important to um, acknowledge is uh, outside of the United States, where sometimes um, pulmonologists might not have uh, the surgical uh, or um, otolaryngology support uh, from a pediatric standpoint that we have here, uh, there are some um, uh, pulmonologists who have really sort of on their own stepped up to the plate uh, and um, have been um, doing a lot of interventional procedures um, because they just need to be done. Uh, and I think we can learn a lot um, if we reach out to those colleagues as well um, for, uh, from a safety standpoint, indication standpoint, and really just an experience standpoint. I've been very, very fortunate to work with uh, Joe and Eric. It's, it's been a real, real pleasure um, having those two uh, as a supportive measure. We're constantly texting each other back and forth with um, unusual cases, uh, asking each other for advice. So uh, I'm really excited that uh, perhaps this is the time that this is gonna come to the forefront. That's great, thank you. And uh, Joe, what about you? I think a, a few key takeaways for me would be that pediatric pulmonologists should um, align with adult interventional pulmonologists and really work together so that we can identify the appropriate indications to do this in kids where this is a safe and the most uh, effective, least invasive means of uh, treating or getting a diagnostic answer for your patients, um, sorry, to improve the care in children. And for me, a large proportion of what I learned on the interventional side was from adult interventional pulmonary colleagues um, at our affiliated hospital, University of Pennsylvania. Um, but you know, sharing that knowledge with me has enabled me to help kids at the children's hospital in ways that we never could have offered them before. And so I think if we build these partnerships across the country between pediatric pulmonologists and adult IP folks, 
um, it's really going to help make this more mainstream and, and doesn't have to be so um, so hard to come by. The other piece I think we should mention um, is that technology in the future, I think, is going to help expand the indications for these procedures. Um, I know it's not unique to pediatrics, but the tissue samples that rely on lung architecture um, are quite limited for pathologic diagnoses. And as the molecular technology advances, I think the opportunity to do these small biopsies um, and the yield from them is gonna greatly increase. Absolutely, I hope the um, collaboration gets formalized at an organizational level too. So uh, Eric, what about you? Any other uh, comments that you would like to make? Well, to me, this is a, a very exciting thing and something that I've been interested in, uh, frankly, even since uh, my days as a resident in pediatrics uh, back in Nashville. And I agree with uh, Joe and Didi both that partnering with our adult colleagues is going to be something that's very important. And there is currently not a great way to be able to uh, get enough experience and recurrent exposure to these types of cases in the pediatric world uh, as a fellow, because there's just not enough volume in any one center that I'm aware of at this point. So being able to get involvement with more experienced hands from our adult colleagues, I think is going to be critical, making sure that we are first and foremost ensuring safety uh, for kids. Another piece that I think is going to be really critical moving forward is awareness of what's out there. Uh, I've been frequently uh, impressed by how unaware is the pediatric field we are of some of the minimally invasive techniques that can be used to, to get at tissue, to remove clot, to uh, deal with an air leak, or any other number of things that can be done uh, through a flexible bronchoscope. People just simply don't know about them. And because we don't know about them, we don't do them, so we don't understand them, so we're not aware of their safety, and we're not aware of indications that can be applied. So moving forward, I think those are going to be important things to really do is to increase awareness, make sure that we are having adequate knowledge of how to perform procedures, when to perform procedures, and then most importantly, making sure we're keeping kids safe. Fantastic. All great points. Um, Didi, Joe, and Eric, I cannot thank you enough for your time and for coordinating time for this podcast. But this has been great. I'm sure our listeners will love to listen to this. And I'm going to listen to this one more time myself. There's, there's been a ton of knowledge that you guys have shared. And I uh, thank you guys. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you.